0: Good morning, once again, and yeah, we're still in Jude for week number three, and we made it all the way through the first four verses of of Jude. Good thing it's only one chapter long, huh? We'd be we'd be here for a while, but the good news is we get to listen to that nice nice groove every Sunday morning, wha- right as we come up here. As I talked to you l- last couple of weeks, I talked to you about this book and said that the book is it's a letter that was written to the to the first century uh, believer. And it was written as a warning against false teachers and those who would follow them. And I'll say this say what I've said over these last couple of weeks. And that's this. While this letter was written to the first century believer. It's also just as important for us today It could have been written to this church, the church of 2020, just as easily as it was written to the first century church. We are the church that is awaiting the return of Christ, and this letter speaks directly to us. In all of the uncertainty of today, people really should be looking to the certainty of the Word of God. But unfortunately, all too often, people instead look to what they want to hear. It's the all-about-me mindset that we've talked about over these last couple of weeks. This all-about-me mindset that has grown so strong today that people can't even imagine that someone with a differing opinion than them could actually add value to their discussion, or that they might actually be right. So so we look, because of this, because we have this all-about-me mindset, we look for people we agree with, who, who agree with us 100%, who, who make us feel good about our own poor decisions often. We see this attitude played out for the entire world to see on social media. <laughs> people tend to only, you know, look for those people who, like I said, ag- they agree with 100%. And when they find someone who they don't agree with, they just write them off. This me attitude has been so become so prevalent. You know, people over these last few years have begun to say things <laughs> to people or about people online, on social media, that most would never consider saying to someone in person, face to face. And this attitude, this all about me attitude has become so prevalent that it's, it's crept into every aspect of people's lives. The lifestyle of people has become one of self-gratification. The result is this, this, this attitude that has become so prevalent has actually also come into the church. We see this godless society. And like I said, the sad thing is this attitude, it hasn't stopped at the doors of the church either. There's a message preached today behind many pulpits that says this, God wants to bless you so that you can have it all. It's the message of God's spiritual blessing that has been perverted into a message of material wealth. It's no wonder so many will flock to this message that speaks to a culture that's so bent on self-gratification. But you know, this isn't a new problem. It didn't just arrive with the crazy 2020, I mean, the crazy 2020 year that we've had, but it was a problem even to the first century church. Jude, in his letter, spoke to this very thing. In the, in the verses we're going to look at today, you're, you're going to see three examples that we can actually learn from. So if you've got your Bible, go ahead and open it now, if you would, to Jude, verses five through seven. Verse number five of Jude says this, But I want to remind you, though you once knew this, that the Lord, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed those who did not believe. And the angels who did not keep their proper domain but left their own abode, he has reserved in everlasting chains under darkness for the judgment of the great day. As Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them in similar manner to these, having given themselves over to sexual immorality and gone after strange fl- uh, flesh are set forth as an example suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. Now in this passage Jude speaks to God's judgment to his judgment in the past but also warns of the same judgment that awaits false prophets, false teachers and those who will follow them. Look at verse number 5. It says, "But I w- want to remind you" He starts this, this section off by saying, I want to remind you, though you once knew this. And he's connecting right here, the reader, to what he said in verse number three that we looked at last week. When he said, faith that was delivered once for all. So he's saying, this is nothing new, these things of the, the past. Uh, it, it's nothing new, but it's also, this gospel message is also nothing new. He's saying, though we tend to forget... The lessons of our past. He's saying to them, I want to remind you, though you once knew. He's saying this is all stuff you should have learned from, but for, one, for some reason your attitude has grown so cavalier to the Lord that you're falling into this trap of this do anything that I want and all will be Okay. So Jude takes them back. He, he takes them back to the, uh, when the Israelites were in the wilderness. And he's, you need to understand he's writing to a group of people who, who were predominantly Jewish. His audience was, was mostly those who had either directly grown up in the traditions of Judaism or their parents did. They were very familiar with the examples that, that he lays out here in this letter. So he starts by saying, he says, the Lord saved the people out of the land of Egypt. So they knew exactly what he was talking about when when he said this. This audience, they knew about the 400 years of bondage. They knew about the the cries of the people that, that went up to heaven and were heard by God. And they knew how God responded and sent a deliverer in Moses to rescue his people out of the chains of bondage. They knew that the people who were in Egypt saw God's hand in the ten plagues that came against their oppressors. They knew the stories of how God brought them out of the land of Egypt, how he parted the the sea, how the people walked across on dry ground, how the armies of Pharaoh were swallowed up by that same sea. They knew about the manna in the wilderness, the bitter water turned drinkable, the water from the rock, the pillar of smoke by day, and the fire by night. They knew all about this, of how God rescued his chosen people. See, they knew of this incredible thing that God had done for them. And the fact is, in many ways, that's what they were holding on to as their salvation. They were counting on the fact that they were the chosen people that God had rescued, and these false teachers were capitalizing on that, Basically saying it meant they could live however they wanted to because they were God's chosen people. See, they had put their trust in their past experience. Not even experience that they personally experienced, but one that they had heard about. The question Jude is raising to this first century believer is the same question we must ask ourselves today, and that is this. Am I trusting God today? You see, far too many people are trusting in an event of the past. You know, when they said yes to John three sixteen, where it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. They said yes to not perishing, yes to gaining eternal life, and abandoned that that is right before it, where it says, Whoever believes in him. You see, that word believe is not a, I came to the altar moment. That word believe is not a, I repeated a prayer moment. That word believe is not a, I got baptized moment. It's a lifelong commitment to Jesus, to trusting him daily for everything. Those who believe in him, those who have an utter dependence on him. See, believe is in a one-time moment. Believe is an ongoing thing. That word there, whoever believes in him, that is a daily trusting, a daily reliance, not an acknowledgement of simply who he is. I mean, the, the demons of hell knew who, know who he is. They believe he exists, but they don't put their trust in him, their faith in him. Judah's saying you got to trust God for today. You got to trust that he can still break the chains of bondage. That he can still set the captive free, that he overcame death, hell, and the grave, and then he can raise to life you just the same. You gotta believe daily in him for your everything. If you don't, it will lead to a place of unbelief. It's funny today, as as Toby was, Pastor Toby was praying and, and speaking there in between those two songs, and He he don't even know this, but I think he said every single one of the points that I have for today's message. I love when when the Holy Spirit is so speaking to us that that is just confirmation that I know that that God has just delivered and brought a word for us for right now. Jude then says, after God did all of this. He destroyed those who did not believe. He's taking his audience back to the book of Numbers when he says this. He's taking them to the, the story of the, the 12 spies who went into the promised land, and they brought back a report, a report of how good the land was. You remember that? The land was good. It was flowing with milk and honey. But, but, but 10 of the 12 also said this, we can't do it. They are giants. We're but grasshoppers in their eyes, in our own eyes, actually. And they say, we should have just died in Egypt. But there were two. There were two who said the God who rescued us out of bondage, who defeated our enemy, he's the same God today. And they said, we are trusting in God for today. And that God, the God who saved us then is the same God who will defeat our enemy now. These two saw God for who he is and not for simply what he did. But the people, it says, were filled with unbelief. They said, we can't do this. They bought into the lie the enemy tells. See, the enemy will say a couple of things to you. He'll he'll say, yeah, God may have done that for you in the past, but he's not going to do it for you again. Or, Or he'll tell you this because God did it for you in the past you can do whatever you want today the people of Israel didn't believe that God could deliver them and the result was every adult that walked out of Egypt with the exception of Joshua and Caleb were destroyed in the wilderness you know it's estimated that there was maybe 2 million people who who left Egypt left Egypt by the hand of God Yet only two that kept believing. Only the two who kept trusting. Only two entered the promised land. How often are we just like the people of Israel in the wilderness? We've seen God do great things. We've seen him do marvelous things in the past. But as soon as we come up against some new obstacle, some new problem, and we don't immediately see the enemy flee or or we don't immediately see the result we want, we stop believing in him for victory. And we try to handle things in our own strength. I'm here to remind you this morning of the warning that Jude gives us in verse 5. And that's this, unbelief destroyed the Israelites in the wilderness. Don't let unbelief keep you in chains. You got to trust in God's power to deliver. Trust in his power. Church, he can and he will bring victory if you continue to believe, you continue to trust. Don't fall into the trap of unbelief. Verse number six, he says this and the angels who did not keep their proper domain but left their own abode he has reserved in everlasting chains under darkness for the judgment of the great day there's a lot of debate over this passage a lot of debate in regards to who were these angels who were they who wh- where did they come from wh- when did they fall there's probably 3 at least 3 if not more views on where this come from. You also see this same description in 2 Peter, by the way. But the, the main three views are this. The first one is um, it's referring to an unknown group of angels and their fall, that, and it's just not recorded in Scripture. There's a second thought on it, and it's that is that it's referring to, to Satan's fall and those angels that were cast down with him. We read about it in Isaiah and Ezekiel. Then there's a third view as well, and it uh, has to do with what we read in Genesis 6, where the angels came to earth and cohabited with women, producing this evil r- race of people that, that eventually brought God's judgment through the flood. Um, that's actually, that, that third one is actually the traditional Jewish view. Uh, we see it in Jewish writings outside of the Bible. You see it in First Enoch, which is not a, a a book in the Bible, but it is a um, Jewish, a Jewish writing. This view would also best explain why some demons are currently chained awaiting that great day and others are free to roam the earth. When reading this passage, though, we 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 got we got to not get so caught up in trying to figure out who these angels were that we missed the lesson that Jude is is trying to convey. Regardless of when this happened, whether it was when, when Satan was originally cast down or if it was a group of angels that were cast down at a later time, we know this one thing for sure, and that's this. This group of angels set aside heaven for self-gratification. It said they did not keep their proper domain, but they left their own abo- abode. This group of angels said no to what God had created them for. They said no to God's plan for their life. And instead they said, I want something more. I want something different. And they rebelled against God. Think about what the rebellion cost them. These are, these are angels who are in heaven, and they give up heaven for hell. They give up worshiping God to be slaves for Satan. They give up light for darkness. They, they give up this eternal presence of God, always being in his presence, to eternal separation from God. They give up a place of honor for a place of shame. And the fact is we often do the same thing. People will even do it when it comes to ministry. God has assigned someone to a specific ministry or or a certain place, and, and oftentimes people will begin looking around and seeing someone else's assignment, and they begin to covet it. It's especially true with social media today. People will look at someone else's highlight reel and say, I want what they have. I know God placed me here. I know he has blessed me with this, but I want that. We see it in marriages where spouses abandon their God-ordained assignment of marriage for a moment of pleasure. We see it in the workplace where where people will will cheat just to try and get a little further ahead. We see ministers not content with the assignment they have because they've fallen for the lure of the celebrity pastor. In doing so, they're saying, God, your plan for my life is not good enough. Listen, I'm not saying that we, we shouldn't grow or develop in our calling. I'm not saying that that God won't move you from one assignment to another. This is what I'm saying. is is, Is it you that is looking to satisfy your flesh, looking for a position of power and influence, or is it God actually moving you? See, that's what's going on in this first century church. False teachers were denying God, promoting what people wanted to hear so that they could be lifted up. So we got to ask ourselves, what about me? What about me? Are you trusting God for today, and are you trusting God's plan for your life? Or have you fostered this attitude of, I want more than the assignment that I've been given? What if God's entire plan for your life wasn't to be the next Billy Graham? What if his plan for your life wasn't to be the greatest worship leader ever? What if his plan for your life wasn't to to head some incredible ministry or to be some CEO or to be rich with wealth or to be someone famous? What if your assignment or his plan for your life was to go through this life simply walking alongside one man or one woman, discipling them, encouraging them, and in turn that one man or that one woman as a result of you walking alongside of them, would lead their family in the ways of God. And no, this isn't where I say, and then one of their kids grow up to be the next Billy Graham. No, what if all they did was simply follow God the rest of the days of their life? They led their family in the precepts of God So that their sons and daughters grew up to do just the same. What if that was your entire assignment? Simply to just walk along one one person. If that was your assignment. Would that be enough? Or would you still look to see someone else's assignment. And say that's what I want. See these. These false teachers that Jude is condemning here, they weren't satisfied satisfied with their God assignment. So they sought to create their own. Their place and position in God's plan was not enough. They wanted something more. They wanted to be lifted up. They wanted to be put in a place of importance. So they didn't trust in God's plan. So we got to ask ourselves do we believe that God knows what's best So we got to ask ourselves am I trusting in God's plan for my life See that's what that's what Jude is telling us here in this this passage he's saying listen God has a plan for your life. you got to trust in it. That's what he's saying when he talks about the angels there when he says they didn't keep their proper domain. They left their own abode. God had a place and a position for them. He had a role for them. And they stepped outside of that role, and the result was to be put in everlasting chains under darkness for the judgment of the great day, awaiting that judgment. you got to trust in God's plan. You've got to believe he knows what's right. Verse number seven says this. As Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them in similar manner to these, having given themselves over to sexual immorality and gone after strange flesh and set forth as an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. We see references throughout Scripture of Sodom and Gomorrah. You see Sodom and Gomorrah, more than 20 different references throughout Scripture. We all know this story. These cities were filled with, with people filled, filled with pride, who disregarded the poor, who were filled with bigotry and hatred for others. And it's because they were all about themselves and their own desires that they were led down this path of sexual sin until a point where God finally said enough. And Jude is comparing the fate of Sodom and Gomorrah to those to where these false teachers were leading people. We are told that, that the people of Sodom and Gomorrah committed sexual immorality. They went after strange flesh. You need to understand this isn't the the flesh of angels that they're talking about, but rather the flesh of other men. It's the sin of homosexuality that's actually being talked about here. But let me be clear. Homosexuality is a sin. But this is where many churches fixate. They will condemn homosexuality and the entire LBGTQ and whatever other initials that are there. They will condemn that entire crowd and they miss the fact That any sex outside of marriage, anything outside of marriage between one man and one woman is sin. We don't condone sexual sin. But we also aren't, aren't called to stand on a street corner spewing hatred to those who are caught in the chains of certain sexual sins. We don't see people on the street corner holding signs condemning people for gossip. You're gossiping. You're going straight to hell. You're going to burn in hell. You gossip. How many signs like that have you ever seen? Did you write it? (laughs) What we typically hear instead is people, even within the church, saying things like this. Did you hear about so-and-so? And in turn, the good Christian says, tell me more. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) And of course, it's (laughs) not so you can feel good about yourself, is it? By knowing someone else's plight, that's surely not why you're you're so excited to hear. (laughs) It's so you can pray for them, right? Oh, tell me more so I know what to pray. I don't know where I was going now. <laughs> Listen, we, we've got to speak to sin, but we've got to speak to sin in such a way that it invites those trapped in sin to know a God that loved them so much that he sent his very own son. We've got to speak to people who are caught in sin in such a way that we invite them to know this, this man named Jesus the Son of God that laid down His life so that they could have victory over sin, so that they could be set free from the chains of sin. Not just sexual sin, but all sin. You see, the the sin that is spoke about is sexual sin, but the real problem is the sin that began in their hearts as they said yes to flesh and no to God. Sodom and Gomorrah Stand as a reminder that the wages of sin are death. Those who remain in sin. Will join Satan and all his angels in the lake of fire. Where there will be an eternally where they will be eternally cast outside of the kingdom. Into a place of eternal torment. A place of eternal separation from God. Matthew. 2541 says this, then he will also say to those on the left hand, depart from me, you cursed into the everlasting fire, prepared for the devils, the devil and his angels. See, hell was created for the devil and his angels. But Jesus, that's Jesus speaking right there. He tells us there in Matthew, there will be people who will join them. And Jude is warning. He's warning against the false teachers and those who follow them. Hell will will have those who would not believe. Hell will have those people who said no to God's plan for their life. And hell will have those people who are consumed with satisfying the flesh. I'm here to tell you this morning that hell is real. Once there, there's no escape. It's a place of eternal suffering and an eternal separation from God Almighty. The very God that sent his own son. Eternal separation from the one who laid down his life. In his first letter to the church at Corinth, Paul writes to a group of people that were not that different from the people of Sodom and Gomorrah. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse number 9 says this. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, nor idol- idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revelers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. Both Paul and Jude are condemning sin. Jude writes of what will become of the false teachers and those who follow him, and he does it as a warning. He's trying to get their attention. If you remember, back in week one, we talked, and he said, listen, I wanted to write to you about this common salvation that we have. But I had to stop. I had to get this message to you right away. You need to understand there are those false teachers who have crept in. They snuck in. And they're teaching you things that are going to lead you astray. They're going to send you straight to hell. Jude writes of what will become of those false teachers. Paul writes how all of those who follow after the flesh will not inherit the kingdom of God. But listen, we aren't left with no hope. We are not hopeless. Look at what Paul says in verse number 11. And such were some of you. Did you you remember all of those things I just read? And Paul says, and so were some of you. I was describing some of you when I was reading out those things, but you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of God. That was some of you, but in the name of Jesus, you've been made right. By the Spirit of God, you are kept. I'm here to tell you today, church, if it weren't for the blood of Jesus, we'd all be condemned. But because of Jesus, we have hope. Jesus, the Son of God, is the very message the false teachers were denying. The very one that could free them. The very one that could free them from the sin that they were trapped in is the one that they were denying. The one that could wash them clean is the one that they said is not the son of God. Church, don't allow unbelief to trap you. You've got to trust in the power of God to set you free. You've got to trust that, that God is God and that we are not. See, because that's really when we don't trust in, in his plan for our life, isn't it? When, when, we start, when we start saying, you know what, God, that life over there, I think that's the one you meant for me. When we say that, we're saying we're God and you're not. We're saying we know better than you. Trust in him. He has the right plan for your life. Finally, Trust in Jesus. Trust in Jesus. Trust that He has the power to deliver you. Whatever whatever battle you're fighting, whatever chains have you bound up, that God is the same God that has delivered you then, the message that Jude is trying to say in verse five, when when he when he goes back to the story of the Israelites. God delivered you then trust in him now. Don't stop believing in him. Trust that he has the the right plan for us in verse 1 of his letter, Jude, a bondservant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to those who are called, sanctified by God the Father, and preserved in Jesus Christ. Trust in that. If you have put your trust in him, believing in him daily, relying on him, not in a, not really not believing in a moment, not believing in a a, re, a, rep, a repeated prayer that you said, but actually believing in Him. Now, should you say the prayer? Absolutely, that's that's part of it, right? But it's not a simply just repeating some words. It's believing. trusting in him so let me ask you today do you do you trust in him do you trust that he knows what's right are you allowed this attitude of self to control you, to steer your life. We're going to take just a moment today to ask God to speak to us, because His Holy Spirit will do just that. You know, a lot of times we want to take the job of the Holy Spirit and point out what's wrong in someone else's life. question is this will we respond so listen let's, let's take just a moment across this room with every head bowed and every eye closed god would you reveal to us right now would you reveal to us in our lives in our